God said to Noah and to his sons with him, As for me, I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the domestic animals, and every animal of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. Please pray with me. Dear Father in heaven, we ask you to be here in this place with us now, and we trust that you have kept your promise and are here in our midst. May my words now be your words, and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. And so we have come once again to Lent, that season of penitence and fasting through which we must wait, remembering our frailty, our humanity, our mortality, waiting in order to get to what our prayer book calls those mighty acts of Holy Week, Jesus' trial, his crucifixion and resurrection those mighty acts that will finally accomplish our salvation. But we're still looking ahead to those. We're not there yet. We've only just taken our first steps since Ash Wednesday. And this Lent, our lectionary, the set of readings that is laid out for us, has given us an, a sort of an informal sermon series, a topical sermon series on covenants. That is, a number of our readings between now and Easter, four of the five Sundays in Lent, in fact, deal directly with covenants or agreements or deals that God makes with his people. This week with Noah, next week with Abraham, the week following with Moses, and finally culminating just before Holy Week with Jeremiah looking forward to Jesus and a new covenant that God will make with his people. Now, I don't want to over-promise and under-deliver. And truth be told, I don't have much experience with sermon series. Are we supposed to end each one with a cliffhanger or something? Is that how it works? But I'm going to make an attempt this Lent, an informal Lenten sermon series on God's covenants with his people. So technically, even though this is week one of our series, this Noahic covenant, the cool theologian term for the covenant that God makes with Noah in our reading in Genesis 9, this is not the first covenant we find in scripture. That would be the one God makes with Adam and Eve in Genesis 2 and 3. There we have all the promises that God makes to provide for that first couple, along with his command that they not eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, with death being the stated consequence, if they do. Then, of course, on the other side of Adam and Eve's breaking of the terms of that covenant, we have the curses pronounced. Enmity between man and woman, pain and childbearing, back-breaking labor, and more. But then, after humanity descends Even further into chaos and sin, God decides he needs a fresh start. This includes a new first man, Noah, instead of Adam, with a new first family and a sort of anti-creation, a great flood that wipes the world clean for Noah's family 
to be fruitful and multiply. And so finally, as Noah's family comes off the ark, after the waters have receded, God's fresh start gets a fresh covenant. Now, I'm not going to say new covenant because the Lord and his prophets are saving that language for Jesus. So we're going to save that new covenant language too. But here in Genesis 9, God makes a fresh covenant, a sort of updated arrangement with his people. Now, there are three defining features of the Noahic covenant that I want to share with you this morning of a nice, clean, three-point sermon. My homiletics professor would be proud. But don't worry, this is not a lecture. This is a sermon. All three of these features point in their own way to what, as we'll see throughout Lent, all of these covenants ultimately point to. Our gods, all along, from the very beginning, plan for the redemption of the world, the life death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ, who makes all things new. So three things. First, the Noahic covenant is a covenant made not just with Noah and his family, but with every living creature on earth. The scope has been greatly expanded from Adam and Eve. It's now creation-wide. Second, it has a specific sign associated with it. The rainbow. And finally, and most clearly pointing us to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Noahic covenant is unconditional. It's one-sided. So let's take these one at a time. First, this covenant has a creation-wide scope. Now, this is not to take away from the unique relationship that our Lord has with humankind, the pinnacle of his creation. It is simply to say that after the sin of Adam, all of creation is in need of redemption. In pronouncing Adam's curse, the Lord curses not only Adam, but the earth itself. Cursed, he says, is the ground because of you. Meaning that not only will the ground be more difficult from Adam's perspective, that is, harder for Adam and his descendants to farm, but it's also that all of creation, even now the ground itself, is tainted by sin. The creation, Paul writes in Romans 8, was subjected to futility. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know, Paul says, that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And of course, Paul is saying until now, until Jesus. And God's covenant now includes all of creation. This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you. And because all of creation is included in the covenant, all creation will be redeemed in Christ. One day, Isaiah foresees, a shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. 
Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. And the result of his arrival? The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, the lion shall eat straw like the ox, the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. That's Isaiah 11, verses 5 through 8, and it looks forward to what Paul will, in his letter to the Colossians, explicitly connect to Jesus. In him, Paul says, that is, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself all things, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. God's covenant with Noah is the starting point in Jesus making all things new and redeeming all of creation. Now, perhaps the most famous aspect of the Noahic covenant is its sign, the rainbow. That's its second defining feature. The Lord describes it in verses 12 to 17. This is the sign, he says, of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the clouds, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. Now this sign is important not only in that it's a beautiful natural occurrence that should every time we see a rainbow after a storm remind us of God's promises, it also points clearly to the subsequent signs of God's promise. The covenant he makes with Abraham which we'll talk more about next week, comes with a sign of circumcision. Every male was marked as God's own from the eighth day, consecrated to the Father, who would one day bring his people safely out of their bondage in Egypt. God's children saved through water two times, once in the ark amidst the flood, and once between the parted walls of water of the Red Sea. And both of those signs point finally to the covenant sign that will be most familiar to you, baptism. And the image is consistent. Once again, God's people saved through water. In our baptismal liturgy, we make the connection between baptism and Noah very clear. Almighty and everlasting Father, I pray over the candidates. In your great mercy, you saved Noah and his family in the ark from the destruction of the flood, prefiguring the sacrament of holy baptism. <clears throat> Look mercifully upon these, your servants. Wash 
sanctify them through your Holy Spirit that they may be delivered from destruction and received into the ark of Christ's church and being steadfast in faith, joyful through hope and rooted in love, they may pass through the turbulent floods of this troublesome world and come into the land of everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Our baptism marks our salvation. It is a covenant sign. It makes a promise just as surely as the rainbow served as a promise of good news to Noah and his descendants that God would never again destroy the world with a flood. He will, however, require a reckoning. Now, I told you at the beginning that the third defining feature of God's covenant with Noah, the clearest foreshadowing of his provision for us in Christ Jesus, was its unconditional nature. And in a sense, it is. It is simply God's promise that he will never again do what he has just done. He will not ever destroy the world with a flood. Of course, He will destroy this world, at least as we know it, by fire. That's described in both 2 Peter and Revelation as the day of the Lord. But God's promise about the flood is locked in, no matter what Noah and his descendants do. There are no requirements here placed on Noah. This is a one-sided covenant. There's no requirement that they must keep in order for God to be faithful to his promise. So in that sense, it is unconditional. But in in just the first couple verses of the chapter, just before our reading begins, we have what sounds like some pretty clear conditional statements. And God blessed Noah and his sons. Genesis 9 begins. And said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood, here we go, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made him in his own image. Now there's a lot that could be said about this short passage, especially about the clear parallels between this covenant and the covenant God made with Adam and Eve. But the part I want to focus on this morning is God's requirement of a reckoning. Here it's in the context of murder and the institution of capital punishment. If a man takes the life of another man, his life shall be taken by men because his crime is against the very image of God. Now, this is just, but one thing it isn't is unconditional, right? And this is God's word immediately before his unconditional covenant with Noah. How can something 
in which God requires a reckoning be in any sense unconditional. And this is, of course, to say nothing about the fact that God has just a couple chapters before kicked Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden and just a couple sentences before destroyed the entire world with a flood because of its sin. Well, as I promised, this is actually the clearest foreshadowing of the good news, the most direct pointing to what Jesus Christ will accomplish for you. Surely, he has borne our griefs. Isaiah prophesies about the Messiah to come and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. This sounds like the world just before the flood. Isaiah is looking forward to a Messiah whose name he didn't know. The Apostle Paul names the incarnate Son of God, Jesus Christ. We implore you, he writes to the incredibly sinful saints in the Corinthian church. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus was made sin so that you could be made righteous. His righteousness imputed, given to you, your sinfulness imputed, given to him. God's love for you can be called unconditional because the conditions have all been met. The reckoning has been exacted, but on the one who could bear it. His Son, your Savior, Jesus Christ. He became sin so that you could become the righteousness of God. This covenant that God makes with Noah, though it has a worldwide scope, points to a covenant that God makes with you. The sign of Noah's covenant, the rainbow, points to your baptism. <coughs> by which you are put to death and raised to new life in Jesus Christ. And the nature of that covenant, the unconditional love poured out on a repentant and faithful sinner, reminds you that on account of Christ, God's saving work for you is complete. Jesus Christ is your ark. 
saving you from the flood of sin and death. All that remains is for you to accept it. So accept it. For the first time this morning or for the hundredth, come, rehearse the words of the Nicene Creed with us here in just a moment and be assured. Confess your sins to God and because of Jesus Christ, be forgiven. Feast at the table he has set and be filled. All of this, this assurance, this forgiveness, and this satisfaction is yours because God has made you a promise. A promise kept in Christ. A covenant in his name to save you today and always. Amen.